a bumpy ride in Detroit and a return to the south of France. Welcome to the A Racing Podcast. My name is Adam. Alongside me is Mitch, and it's quite a week coming up here in the uh, world of racing. Quite a week it was, and quite a week coming up. Absolutely, man. Those two races in Detroit from this last weekend in IndyCar, super exciting to watch. I mean, especially race number two, but there was a lot of drama this last weekend. Like, people's throttles getting stuck. Of course, we hope Rosequist is okay and everything is fine with him. Roman Grosjean crashing out of essentially both races, one playing the firefighter. <laughs> I'm sure Roman doesn't want to see fire ever again. Um, just an all-out race on that second race on the Sunday. It was awesome. Yeah, uh, that Rosenquist crash, I, I can't remember... Like, obviously, we've all seen big crashes before, but that one seemed to be particularly nasty. Like, to the point where he slammed into the barrier so hard that the tires actually went over the fencing, and one of the concrete barriers became dislodged from the others. And those things are usually screwed together, so... Yep. Like, he must have just destroyed... Like, I don't know how he's okay, which I'm glad he is. Yeah, me too. Like, he was able to get out. He's recovering at home right now, so it's so glad to see he's okay. But, yeah, it was two really awesome races to watch. And uh, I guess a surprise winner and quite a comeback winner. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it for sure. I mean, that that uh, second race there, obviously, Joseph Newgarden is just dominating. But, man, Pato Award. Like, again, we've talked about in previous podcasts that he gets – his drive officially in McLaren, that Formula One team at the end of the season. But the way he drove that second race to finish, I like hats off, man. That's Formula One worthy for anybody if you can drive like that. Yeah, I mean, he was making some awesome passes and restarts. As you say, Newgarden was dominating for a bunch of the race, but there was just some kind of alternate pit strategies that kind of played out against him and then yeah that first race you had Marcus Erickson winning his first race I think it's his first win since GP3 after Will Power had the lead but after Grosjean's crash in the first race he had to uh they, they did a red flag as he restarted the red flag they tried to restart Will Power's car but they had some electronic issues and had to drop out of the race which gave Erickson the lead and at the time, it was seven winners in seven races. Obviously, Pato has won earlier this year, so that kind of breaks the streak. But still, I mean, really cool win for Pato in the second race. He dedicated the win to his teammate, and yeah, he's become a serious title contender. Yep. What is he now? He's got a one-point one lead over Alex Pelot, right? And then Scott Dixon pulling up the rear in third. So, yeah, I would not have picked those two as the uh, front runners right so far. <laughs> hey, it's a year full of surprises and all kinds of motor racing. So really excited to see uh, Pato up top there. And uh, yeah, again, it would have been nice to see eighth winner in eight, eight races, but sometimes you need a little bit of that familiar. And honestly, the way he was driving in that second race, like you said, off the restarts, the dive bombs he was making, Daniel Ricardo level dive bombs into turn one my goodness if you get a chance to watch the highlights go back and watch them it's phenomenal racing and just so exciting to see if you don't get why we get like racing 
that's a race to watch. It <laughs> will kind of give you an explanation without words as to why we love this sport. Yeah, and, and what's interesting this so far this year, too, we have seven different winners. I don't think we've had a Penske winner yet. Uh, no. Because New Garden, that was going to be New Garden's first win of the year. Power, obviously, he had the lead, but had to drop out. Uh, McLaughlin, obviously, newer driver, hasn't really had a lot of experience. And I don't think Simon Pagano's had a win. No, I don't think so, because Scott hasn't won yet, even though he's had pole positions. Uh, I believe Scott does have a win. Let me consult the good old Google. Mother Google. <laughs> the smartest person on earth. <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, it's over for the Penske guys this year, which is extremely unusual. That's very unheard of, actually. I don't think we'd have to look back and do some research as to the last time something like that happened to one of the most well-known teams in the sport. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, Dixon ended up winning at Texas mm. in one of those races. So looking ahead, we have uh, some interesting news because IndyCar is not done yet. We got another race this upcoming weekend over at Road America. Uh, two new drivers filling in, though. So Oliver Askew, who did fill in for uh, Rosenquist at the second race in Detroit, he'll be back. He'll be driving for uh, Renus VK, though. Uh, VK, he ended up having a cycling accident on Monday. He ended up break, er, fracturing his left clavicle. So, oh. yeah, brutal and unfortunate turn of luck there. Surgery apparently went well, so that's good to hear, but he will not be racing this weekend, so Askey's filling in for him. And then we found out that Rosenquist is out as well, because he's still recovering from that crash. So, replacing him at McLaren is Kevin Magnussen. So cool to see. Magnussen and Grosjean reunited. Does that name ring a bell, anybody? Have you yeah. heard that <laughs> name before? K-Mag? <laughs> the man is back in open-wheel racing. I am excited to see this. You heard kind of K-Mag throughout the week when all the F1 contract talks and rumor mill was turning that he would make a return to F1 only if Red Bull and Mercedes gave him a contract. Now, obviously that's not going to happen. He knows it's not going to happen. He said that himself, that that's like a, never going to happen in this world. But to be able to have then have this opportunity to step into open wheel racing a long time, alongside his longtime teammate, as much as they're going to be competing against each other, and they were on the same team in Formula One, to a certain extent, the Formula One drivers do compete against each other. So this will be kind of just a nice walk down memory lane for these fellas. And uh, yeah, it'll be really just neat to see them both on track together again. I'd like to see a teammate battle. A formula, former F1 teammate battle. What fascinates me is I, I'm really interested to see how quickly Magnussen can pick it up because while, yes, they're both open-wheel race cars, IndyCar is definitely a little bit different than Formula 1. Like, you could talk about the windscreen or that aero screen. It's uh, compared to the Halo device. You could talk about just the fact that there's you really have to drag the car into each of the corners. It's not like just a nice and grippy turn and like you can get in Formula One. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm really interested to see how quickly he can pick it up, if he can pick it up quickly, or if it's just kind of like a fill-in ride and let's see if he can get top 15. Well, and even Roman Grosjean said earlier in the year, the difference between IndyCar and Formula One, it's harder to warm up the tires 
to get them into a right operating window. But not only that, he said, it, even just from a steering standpoint, like F1, I wouldn't say has full power steering, but he compared it to like having power steering versus not coming between both the two sports. So there's another level of, of complexity to this race that Kevin Magnuson is going to have to deal with. Now, I mean, thankfully, he's got a good team behind him. I mean, McLaren's no joke. Obviously, Pato one's, has won two races this year. Um, they're doing good in Formula One. Not that that has anything to do with IndyCar itself, but he's got a good team behind him who will be able to help him understand the car. And, I mean, kind of a side note to this, too. How exciting for Pato that he gets to have his teammate on this weekend be a former Formula One driver he could pick his brain as much as he can about what it was like to be at that level of motor racing and stuff like that. I mean, sure, you know, drivers talk between teams or whatever, but to have a guy who's been in the big show for so long to be your teammate this weekend, especially knowing, again, that you're going to have your ride in the F1 car at the end of the year, mm. if you're Pato. Very cool. And, I I mean, if I was him, I'd be picking K-Mag's brain all weekend he wouldn't he wouldn't have a moment away from me except for on the racetrack that's a lot yeah there'd be a lot of information exchange between those two because obviously k-mag will be like how do you drive one of these things <laughs> and pot will be like how do you drive one of your things yeah. <laughs> can we trade hey yeah good <laughs> idea do we just become best friends yep <laughs> <laughs> oh exactly um and then touching back in groshan I uh, just wanted to mention he will be doing his first oval race at the end of this year. Uh, a couple of reports say that he'll be driving at the Worldwide Technology Raceway. It's pretty much like the short track of IndyCar. So awesome to see that he'll be uh, trying out a an oval. So not a lot of high speeds, but, you know, it can pick up uh, at that track. And maybe could we see him take up some more ovals next year? Maybe Indy. I don't know if we'll see him at the Indy 500, but... Uh, who knows? People see a little more Grosjean next year, and I, I'm really glad to see that he's embracing IndyCar because you, sometimes you see these guys that come out of F1 and think, you know, oh, look at us. F1 is the greatest in the world, and IndyCar's got nothing on us. But I'm really glad that Grosjean's looked at it and said, you know what? Yeah, they're different. Sure, Formula 1 might be more the glitz and glamour, but I really do enjoy this time I'm having right now in IndyCar. Yeah, exactly. And to for, from a Formula 1 driver to go from there to IndyCar I mean for him to race the road races all year this year instead of the ovals I mean you know you do have it's very similar to Formula One in the sense that there's lots of left and right turns you have some tighter turns whereas oval it is just you go around and around and around and around and around and maybe it was a matter of that coming off of a high speed crash that he had in Haas last year he just didn't want to do any of the oval tracks this year again it's not as fast as formula one it's not necessarily like the level of danger is obviously still there because these cars are going really fast but just kind of getting his feet wet with the road courses this year and then i mean we're looking at also in haas we mentioned previously about nikita mazepin potentially needing to leave for a stint in the russian army which then means that grosjean's counterpart in the 51 car pietro or uh is it Pietro Fittipaldi? Yep, Pietro. Yeah. yeah, Pietro Fittipaldi all of a sudden then has to go fill his duties with Haas. So that leaves a spot wide open because, 
again, that term with Nikita Mazepin is a full year in the Army in Russia, so that would go well into next season. So then if Pietro's dealing with Formula One stuff, that opens up the door for Roman to say, okay, I can could take a full season in this car, or two-thirds if, you know, Nikita comes back next year or whatever. But either way, just exciting to see that, like you said, the interest seems to be there from Roman. He's not just discounting it and saying, oh, I was a Formula One driver, this doesn't matter. He is giving it an honest shot to say, you know, I want to try that, but I'll try it on a short track at the end of the year versus some of the, like you said, Indy, the biggest oval, the biggest race of the year. So very exciting to see. Uh, transitioning over to NASCAR now, looking at the all-star race. You know, initially heading into it, I was a little bit skeptical of the format. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Now, first of all, I just want to clarify from last week, I might have made a little bit of a mess up because it was reading it was confusing. I thought it was the bottom half of the field that was being inverted. It actually made a little more sense that the front half was being inverted and stuff. Um, so basically, end of the first stage, they inverted the top 12. So 12th led the second stage and first fell back to 12th, blah, blah, blah. And then they did the same thing for round three. Or round three, they inverted the entire field. Round four, they inverted the top nine. So it was a whole bunch of different mix-ups with cars that weren't competitive at the start, kind of suddenly leading the race. And I don't know. Like, I, I, I thought it was good, but it kind of killed some of that flow that you get from a from a race where you get, like, a longer stint. The guys with that can manage their tires usually get a bit of a better run. But... We only had like 15 laps at a time. Caution comes out. Everybody resets and reverts. Uh, but at the end, once again, Hendrick Motorsports dominating <laughs> with, once again, Kyle Larson holding off Brad Keselowski in the final laps to win his second All-Star race and one million bucks. You know, when you're in the zone, you're in the zone, man. Kyle Larson's having a, a heck of a year this year. Obviously, a heck of a couple consecutive race weekends in NASCAR. Uh, but just, again, all four Hendrick drivers won at least one of the six stages in this race. Um, Chase Elliott's pit crew also showed why they're the best. They got the hundred grand too, right? So uh, just a great weekend all around for the team. And I do have to ask you this question, and it's not related to any of the drivers necessarily, but... Do you find that there was as much explaining from the commentators as you thought there'd be? I don't think so. It, it, they kind of, like, they did a good explanation at the very start as to how it all worked. Kind of called it four sprint races. Simple format like that. And I, I appreciated that. But once we kind of got into the race itself, you kind of jumped by a lot of the details. It was like, oh, yeah, by the way, they're inverted. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's good then that it didn't take as much explaining, but... It, like you said, it, it was a little bit challenging to find a flow of the race versus regular races. I mean, it was a nice idea, I think, but I would like it to see return to traditional next year. I think it, it, it's one of those things that, of course, you these sports try all these different experiments to try to find some way to excite the fans, give it something different than from what's the standard. But, I mean, I haven't looked a lot into all the comments online about the format from the weekend 
please, by all means, everybody, let us know on Twitter at the A Racing Pod is our handle. Facebook or email us at the A Racing Podcast at gmail.com. Your thoughts on the race itself. Um, but like I said, traditional in my mind would be nice to return next year for the All Star race. One thing that I saw that was an interesting comment was how about let the fans vote on what they think should be the format? Mm. So maybe have some fan submissions, four or five options, and then have the fans vote. Okay, this is your all-star race. How do you want to see it play out? Mm. I I don't think that's that bad of an idea. Uh, Unless there's like, I don't know, 12 caution stages during the whole race. That might be a little bit clunky, but... (laughs) Okay, here's my idea. We're going to fuel up the cars. We're going to get some fresh slicks on them. And we're going to let them race until the last car runs out of fuel. And that's the person who wins. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a bit of a snail race at the very end. I know. <laughs> Just crawling to the finish. He's running out fumes. <laughs> no, that's a dumb idea. We won't do that. We won't pitch that. But, uh, yeah. Maybe they could put, like, boosters on the track. Like, Ooh. something you'd see in, like, a... Mario Kart or something. Accelerator strips. <laughs> yes. That would be... Is that physically possible? That would be uh, <laughs> hilarious to watch, I think. I don't know if it's physically possible. I doubt it is. But, um, yeah, do you got any bold predictions ahead of the second half of the season, though? Yeah, so looking at just how dominant they've been this year, I'm going to make a bold prediction here and say... So, of course, NASCAR, the Final Four, are determined by... Um, like, the playoffs go... 16, 12, 8, and 4 in terms of number of drivers left. The final four compete at the season finale in Phoenix. I'm going to say, with how they've performed this, as we've kind of moved towards the second half of the season now, we're going to see a sweep of Hendrick cars in the final four. Wow. Which I don't think we've come close to with any manufacturer or any team before. We've seen maybe two or I think we've seen two guys from one team in the final. But honestly, with obviously Larson's having an amazing season, Chase Elliott's been right with him. You've had William Byron, who's looked pretty strong. He's had a win. He's had some great results. Alex Bowman's kind of my wild card as to making into the final four because in the third round, you can only, uh, the final eight, you can only have three guys win a race in the fourth one has to make it in on points. But... I honestly think Bowman could sneak his way in there just because the Hendrick cars look so strong this year. And I don't know how that would impact the balance of NASCAR in 2022, but I just, the way they're racing, I I see a Hendrick Final Four. I feel like if that happened, I mean, you see all these videos and commentaries sometimes about moments in sport or athletes in sport that force rule changes. I think if you saw all four Hendrick cars in the final, in the shootout this year, I'm pretty sure that NASCAR would come out with a rule, whether it's next year or the year after, that would say, you know, from one team, you're only allowed a maximum of three reps, let's say. Because I think about people who don't like Hendrick, like who don't like Team Hendrick. I mean, obviously, there's millions of NASCAR fans across the world, 
how many people are you going to have tune out of that last shootout if it is 400 cars just because they don't like the team, right? True. So I'd be interested to see if the, if something like that does happen. Now, maybe doing it after just the first year that it happens is pushing it a little bit because typically, I mean, we see it in Mercedes and Formula One. They won seven straight years. We're all tired of it. We're sick of it. But they haven't changed the rule there yet, and it's been seven years. So, you know, I, I don't think after one year that they would do it. But, I mean, it's a really good, bold prediction. I think it's probably one of the boldest I've heard from the season so far. And probably, again, with the exception of Alex Bowman, it'll kind of depend on how high he finishes throughout the second half of the season. Because like you said, there's only three winners and then the fourth gets in on points. So yeah, uh, maybe he's a little bit of a long shot, but uh, very cool. It would be very cool to see that for sure. And, and what would be interesting as well is because, of course, with the – uh, teams as they kind of do their practices and races and stuff they of course share data among all the drivers if all four from one race team make it into the final four i don't think anyone's going to be sharing any data with anybody <laughs> or you did you'd have somebody who uh would suggest doing a ford versus ferrari scenario all four cars cross the line at the exact same time Four individual winners of the NASCAR season. Team Hendrick. Imagine if one of the guys just kind of was like, no, actually, I want to win it by myself. Ha ha. Just right at the end, pulls forward. Holy. <laughs> you'd, that's where you'd have a lot of team infighting, and then you'd see all the driver moves to a bunch of different teams. <laughs> <laughs> and and this was the start and the end of Hendrick. Yeah. This is how they lost everybody. <laughs> all of their great drivers. This is how they went away. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of Mercedes now, we're transitioning over to some Formula One back after a couple weeks break mm-hmm. oh. for our beginning of the triple header. Man, France is going to be so much fun to watch. Round seven of the title fight between Mercedes and Red Bull. Yep. Um, I mean, it's been a pretty quiet off week. Obviously, coming out of the Mercedes camp, you have both Lewis and Valtteri who are kind of hoping to have better weeks. But you still kind of see this mind game being played about... You know, Mercedes saying, oh, we're not, you know, Red Bull's better than us. But then Red Bull shooting back and saying, well, these were street tracks in Baku and Monaco. And now we're more traditional tracks. So they expect Mercedes to be really awesome. Uh, But bottom line for me, I think for this French weekend, and again, I mentioned earlier about the rumor mill this week about all the driver moves. There's been a lot of people that have already been saying Russell has the seat locked up in Mercedes for 2022. But I think for Valtteri Bottas, he wants to start talking about his future contract this summer, maybe in the next month or so. This race is your turning point for his season. If he performs really well, wins the race, has a clean race, very you know successful moving through the field if he can't qualify at the front. I think that that might make it interesting, I guess, moving forward. This is a big weekend for him. Mercedes is known to be really good at this track. They've won the previous two times they've been here. And like this seems to be a return to tracks that Mercedes is really dominant at. This one, they've looked really good at Austria in the past. I, I think he really needs to have a good two, if not three races and... Otherwise, he might be looking over his shoulder once we get 
a month from now or so because I, I think he wants to kind of get this contract dealt with A so he can just kind of look focus more on the racing than on his future. But also, maybe he is like, you know, maybe if we wait, a, wait too long, Russell has more good performances. Maybe Valtteri has another crash or something like that. And he could be really looking over his shoulder and that might really mess with him heading to like Spa, Monza. Usually when that's when we kind of see the moves take place. So, Well, I don't think that there would be definitely not obviously the mid-season move. But from a Valtteri perspective, I think, and this is just kind of my gut feeling on this, if your people with people within Mercedes, I think, you know, as much as George might not finish in the points this year for Williams, he might, you know, be finish a position lower than he did in previous years due to DNFs and whatever in the driver's standings. But I, I think people in Mercedes are looking at last year's race, this year Grand Prix in Bahrain, looking at that and saying, that's the measuring stick. We saw the potential of George in our car and he was even doing better than Valtteri. And I think that they'll take that one race from George and compare it to the whole season from Valtteri this year. And just that'll be their weighing option. I've heard some intriguing things about, you know, a potential for George Russell, Valtteri Bottas switcheroo. Valtteri going right back to Williams where he was just a few years ago, several years ago now, uh, which would be neat to see because heading into a new era of Formula One with this next regulation change, having somebody of Bottas's experience coming from the top team in Formula One down to the perennial bottom feeder for the last several years in Formula One, the knowledge he could bring, the experience, he could really put his stamp on that car and be a big part of bringing Williams back forward. I mean, obviously, this is all just speculation, um, but it's going to be fascinating to see those two. And other news from contracts, I mean, very exciting for Esteban Ocon, one of the home hometown boys for this weekend's race, a big three-year deal from Alpine. A little bit of disclosure. I wrote, I kind of wrote like this uh, rundown that we kind of referencing uh, on the Monday, and it was there was literally nothing really to talk about from the off week. And then on Wednesday, things really picked up. We, as you were mentioning with Alcon signing a three-year extension with uh, the French Alpine squad through 2024, appropriately ahead of the French race. You got the French driver, French team, French race. Uh, so exciting to see that with Alcon. Uh, some discussion about whether he would be a potential person filling in, like for Lewis or for uh, Valtteri for next year and on, just because. Uh, he kind of has a bit of a relationship with Total Wolf and with the Mercedes squad. But uh, no, Ocon will be sticking around with Alpine. He, of course, picked up a podium last year at the Secure Grand Prix. So uh, good to see him there. He's He had a bit of a struggle, I guess, um, early in the year, but he's really picked it up uh, the last few races. And I'd be really interested to see how he uh, performs throughout the rest of the year, especially alongside Fernando and then head into 2022 because... Both those guys are locked up for next year with Alpine. So they'll both have their first taste of the uh, new car. And uh, yeah, I'm interested, interested to see how Ocon will perform uh, against the rest of the field and against uh, Fernando. And nice for Alpine too, because now that they know what their driver lineup for 2022, I mean, all these teams have already been focusing on 
next year's car. Lots of teams aren't really bringing many upgrades anymore this year. They're just focusing 2022. Alpine, I think, is bringing still some things this year. Um, but for them to just know that their driver lineup's set, they don't have to have any distractions with contract negotiations through the summer break or any of the extra sort of long breaks that we have left in the season where there's two weeks between races, they can just purely put all their marbles in next year and just give her full beans. Like for the rest of the year this year, see how Alonzo and Ocon are able to kind of pull their way back up into that midfield fight. I mean, they're still miles away from Ferrari and McLaren. Um, but it, I think for them, their race now is sort of with Aston Martin, especially since Seb seems to have woken up in that car mm-hmm. and got it working really well. Um, it is just going to be exciting to see for Alpine uh, heading into the next gen of Formula One racing. Be quite fun to watch. Uh, hopefully the tires are all good for this weekend. Uh, Pirelli did come back with findings in those crashes in Baku with uh, Lance Stroll and Max Verstappen where the cars just, like the tires, I think it was the left rear, just blew up on the front stretch. Um, determined, because initially they said it was debris that they believed was the cause, but they looked at it mm-hmm. and said no debris, no driver fault. They believe that the issue was a break in the inner sidewall of the tire and kind of put a little bit of blame on the teams with Red Bull and Aston Martin that they passed checks for starting conditions, but they did some stuff with the tires to like lower tire pressures a little more, I think, during running conditions. Um, it gets very technical with how it all played out. The race uh, over on YouTube, they had a really good video kind of describing how the teams can kind of skirt the rules a little bit um, after the checks and before a race and how it can affect running conditions, like talking about different gas gases you can put in tires. Taking the blankets off earlier in the garage before they go out on the track. Lots of different things. Sounds like that. The FIA is going to be cracking down a little more on it this weekend so that they don't have teams going with dangerously low tire pressures that could cause some damage to the sides of the tire over a longer period of time. So, And something interesting to note, too, from the tire perspective. I mean, obviously, Lance Stroll had the incident last weekend, but watching F- Formula One and Sky Sports kind of weekend rundown heading into France, Lance Stroll, when they interviewed him, did mention that the tires are going to be a factor this weekend again because of it's the time of year that they're in France right now. It's a little bit, I think, I think they said warmer than usual. So it's going to be a challenge to keep the tire temperatures kind of in that proper operating window. Cause that's the other part of it too, is that when the tires are in the proper operating window in terms of temperature, you that's when your air pressure is at its peak and its prime position which is what Pirelli tests their tires at, which is what they're supposed to operate at for peak performance. So not saying that tire temperatures was an issue last weekend, but it's always been something that the drivers have to think about. And especially on a track like France, where you've got kind of load going from side to side with so many different swooping S sections and turns, that third sector is really just kind of a, I mean, playing in the Formula One game, if you get it wrong, it's a nightmare. Um, it's a tire killer. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much a tire killer. You can overheat your front tires very easily. 
depending on how fast you take the corner. Um, but I, I think that they are going to be a factor this weekend and not necessarily from a puncture perspective, but with so many kind of, of those, like we said, the race on YouTube posting that video of so many different intricacies of things that teams can do to kind of find that slight little advantage, get lower tire pressure to have that little bit more traction on track, especially again, France being having several long straights that detraction zones out of there have to be on point for you to get a good run into the DRS zone and make a dive bomb into the hairpins and different chicanes. It's, it's going to be a big thing this weekend. I think the, I have such an appreciation for how the, those engineers can do so much to try to find hundreds of a second. Like we're talking like the most detailed little things they can do just to get like a little tiny bit on that track uh, a lap and it's incredible to see how they can somehow maximize their performance like that so yeah some other news uh, as well unfortunately we will not be seeing Roman Grosjean at his home track for now uh travel issues obviously with covid and Grosjean going to be racing at Road America uh, they tried to make it all work, but they could not. So Grosjean will not be doing those uh, that test drive on Tuesday over at uh, Circuit Paul Ricard. Uh, they initially canceled the Sunday parade laps before the race, but now they've kind of postponed the test drive as well. The team says they're still committed to doing a test run sometime this summer, but uh, nothing for now. Yeah. So kind of sad to see again as we were so excited when this was first announced because all the French French fans being there this weekend uh, would have seen one of their longstanding Formula One drivers get a chance to race in the best car, Formula One, a couple of years back. And, uh, I mean, they'll still have people to watch, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon, of course. But, uh, yeah, just kind of a little bit of a – just a small tear, I think, shed for this that it hasn't happened on time. But – as long as Mercedes promise holds true, it's going to be awesome seeing him at uh, Circuit Paul Ricard, for sure. Yeah, or or some other track. I I, I hope they stick with Paul Ricard just so he can race at home. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the note wanted to mention uh, as well, and I just heard about this today. Uh, it could look a little bit different if you look at some of the interviews. Apparently, so they made some COVID changes for the rules for drivers. When they're in like the t- doing TV interviews in the pit, they can now take their masks off. So I was watching kind of the weekend warm up that F1 does, and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I Perez had his mask off, and it was like, oh yeah, you do have a mouth and and teeth and stuff <laughs> to talk. What is this? And then like um, there's a couple other guys who were taking the taking their masks off, and it's like you know, obviously following safety protocols but it is nice to see people just you know see people's faces yeah absolutely and one of those other people was actually daniel ricardo oh yeah <laughs> everybody loves his his contagious smile that he has walking throughout the paddock and it was kind of funny he admitted i mean obviously because you've had a mask on for so long you you don't necessarily have to worry about anything being stuck in your teeth very often you don't necessarily have to worry about being like well shaven to some certain extent. So Daniel Ricardo was joking today about how, you know, even just the littlest thing, he was walking into the, into the media pen to have his interview. And somebody mentioned that he's got spinach in his teeth. 
<laughs> from lunch and just that simple thing that they haven't had to think about for over a year now now comes back into play but like you said just great to see faces again it feels somewhat normal again obviously if you're in different parts of the world it'll be different everywhere uh, i know here in saskatchewan we're getting back to normal we're expected to have no masks kind of in the mid to end july to kind of into august that time frame but really cool to see on the global scale somewhere else in the world no masks uh fans going to be there this weekend at paul ricard uh just really cool really cool absolutely and speaking of paul ricard let's take a look at the track so um, F1's had a couple stints at it. They were there kind of on and off in the 70s and 80s, trading with other French tracks. But uh, most recently, they did, they've did. they done the two races since 2018 at the track. This track wasn't with us last year due to COVID. Um, so basically, this track's kind of an interesting one. If you look at it from like an aerial view, it looks like some kind of Picasso art, I would probably say, with all the crazy blue and red lines that are off the actual circuit. Bit of a technical section once you get into turn one, two, a quick left, right, straight away, and then you get a little bit technical before you get onto a long back straight. There's two of them. The first one's got DRS, the one long back straight, uh, then kind of followed by a bit of a chicane in the middle, then the second long straight sweeps off to the right, and then you've got a more technical section. We were talking about that one earlier where there's a lot of stress put on the tires because it's a lot of sweeping turns. One other DRS straight at the front stretch. So once you come off that last kind of hard right, you got a long front stretch run. Uh, one thing you will notice is there's not a lot of runoff gravel traps, as mentioned with the Picasso thing. There's two different types of surface off the track so basically they've got a uh, a more abrasive blue zone as you kind of go a little bit off track that allows for a car that's out of control to get a little more grip or or maybe not out of control but kind of veering off track to get more grip to get on but of course with that grip leads to more wear on the tires so that's why they aren't letting guys just go way out on off the track and then there's this red one that's even grippier, so probably a little bit further out along the off-track area. That one's even grippier, but again, wearing out the tires even more than the blue zone. So uh, there's a reason it looks like that. <laughs> it's not just some kind of aesthetic kind of confusing look. Yeah, but something else I want to I do want to mention, and we've mentioned the Formula One route a weekend warm-up a, a couple times. But they also mentioned with a with being off a year now from Paul Ricard and France not having a race last year, they've actually resurfaced the track. So oh. it's got fresh asphalt, which they said is going to be very very smooth. So not they're not expecting rain for this race this weekend, and I mean rain and. Rain in France is not like it's impossible. It's not necessarily as guaranteed as like a Singapore. Yeah, I think they're saying a 20% chance on race day, which isn't very much, but you never know. But if it does capitalize on the 20% and that track becomes wet with new asphalt, it's going to be a slip slide show. Turkey! <laughs> well, tough to say. It's not going to be as cold as Turkey. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just an interesting thing that 
of course, all of these tracks see resurfacing done, but this is kind of with Formula One taking a break from this track for one year and now coming back to a totally new surface. I'll be interested to see if it does play a factor. I imagine not to some extent because the teams know how to handle these types of situations. But uh, just one last point I wanted to add there with the track itself. Uh, yeah, it's some interesting information. I, I w wonder how uh, a guy like Hamilton, who has won the last two races here, is going to have to, if that'll change his preparation or if he has, like, if he will struggle a little more if, based on that. I, I don't think he will, but who knows? Lewis Hamilton doesn't struggle. The fact that he called his incident last week in Baku not a mistake, he doesn't believe it was a mistake. I mean, lots of fans think, oh, it's a mistake. But Total Wolf and Lewis Hamilton would both not say that it was a blatant mistake in his racing. It was just a coincidental incident. But, I mean, you talk about Lewis Hamilton. I mean, he's dominated this race the last two races. Lewis Hamilton's really strong in France. I've heard some of the bold predictions saying that the podium is going to be Max Verstappen somehow finding a way to squeak out a win over Lewis Hamilton. But Sergio Perez, third on the podium. Could it happen? We don't know. But France, man, again, especially with Sebastian Vettel kind of figuring out that Aston Martin the low-rate cars are just going to be flying this weekend. Yeah. And so you'll see those teams like Aston Martin. Uh, I think Williams is a little bit of a low-rate team. This could be one of those races that they're focusing on for the year. We don't know that yet. Well, here's the problem with Williams. They've got a lot of wind this weekend forecast. I think they're saying mm -hmm. wind gusts of up to 40 or 50 all weekend long. So that, I mean, Williams has admitted their car is not great in windy conditions. So yeah. That could be a bit of an issue, but yeah, what you were saying with the low-rate cars, like, honestly, Aston Martin could be competing for top four, top five. And as much as this is a more traditional track again versus the street circuits, if you look at the track, it is similar to Baku in the sense that you, again, once you get to that first long straight with the DRS zone, little chicane, second kind of long, straight, sweeping, double right-hander before you enter Sector 3 where it's the technical section. In Baku, Mercedes did, couldn't really find a setup that would work for both their drivers. Lewis had a setup that kind of worked for him, but you saw in that middle sector that was very technical, he lost four-tenths in that sector alone to the Red Bulls and then would make it up on the back straight. France, again, as much as the third sector isn't as technical as the second sector of Baku, you could see kind of that ebb and flow this weekend of the first sector having kind of a semi-technical portion. Maybe Red Bull makes up a little bit of time, loses it on the straights in the middle sector, gets to the third sector, makes up a bunch of time back, or gains a bunch of time if they're leading. I mean, it's exciting. I think this will be also the first weekend in the last – two race weekends that we won't have a red flag and a Q3. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone should be able to finish their laps, actually. Well, you could get some yellow flags that could stall a driving attempt, but... If somebody crashes based on someone else's actions, because, again, the walls are so far away, you're not going to see anybody run off track and slam out of the wall. You're not going to see anybody, like... I don't know. I get, if the failures happen. Failures can happen. There might be some failures show up this weekend. But if you see dive bombs into turn 
one, especially that left-hander, because it's kind of a, I, I like to call it like a loose chicane, turn one and two, because it's not like it's as tight as you normally see chicanes, where like literally the car like barely fits if you were to go straight corner to corner. Yeah. But it it's kind of like a, a curved 90 degree turn left to the right, then the track opens up. And so you might see a lot of moves into that corner. I can see, I mean, I would be really excited if it was like nearing the end of the race and Max Verstappen makes a dive into turn one. <laughs> <laughs> and Lewis and Max both go through that first sector. Be nuts. I'd be flying off my seat, but we can only wait and see. That's all we can do. What I love about turn one and lap one is that if there's contact, it's just the cars just go all over the place. They're literally <laughs> off track, flying, like, well, not flying, but they're, like, off track, following the actual path, and it's just mayhem. There's, like, <laughs> six wide as guys are just trying to get back on the track because, of course, there's no gravel to run into, so you just, you know, drive over the blue stuff and then make your way back onto the circuit, and it's just, like, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, and kind of when you enter that middle sector with that first long straight in the DRS zone, I mean... We've heard about it with Nico Rosberg. If you get a chance to watch Nico Rosberg on YouTube, please do it. He's very he gives you so much insight into each track. He does a weekend warm up of the zone, gives you a run down of the track, fast lap, whatever. Uh, he's always talked about how there's so many different racing lines that you can take. And France is one of those tracks that there are so many different racing lines that you can take mm. that will find you an advantage. So you talk about cars going in six wide. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's not six wide, but right before you come onto that main straight, again, Formula One game, is it perfect? No. I've always found that when I come into that mid middle sector, onto that back straight, if you turn on the racing line in the game, it tells you to kind of run wide out, and then you kind of sweep tight into the corner before you hit the long straight. My experience is that if I kept it tight and kept to the right side of the track, it just opens it up that much more and you gain so much more speed coming out of, I think that's like turn seven or eight before the main straight. Yeah. Very fascinating stuff, but racing lines will be a big thing because you will see, I think, especially in that last sector coming out of the triple right-hander into the third sector, some people try to take that on the outside you might see somebody take a maybe make an ill-advised whether it's ill-advised or not i guess we'll have to see on sunday dive bomb kind of to the inside to try to force their way through Ooh. um i don't know i'm excited I, you you can tell the passion for this race is there man i mean it's round seven like ring the bell let's go it's time to race <laughs> exactly with that let's take a look at the standings to uh line up our compatriots who will be dueling in the south of France. But uh, yeah, Max Verstappen right now still is the top spot, 105 points. Lewis Hamilton only four behind with 101. Then you go back to Sergio Perez, last week's winner, with 69. Uh, Lando Norris is 66, so pretty tight there. You got uh, Charles Leclerc, 52 points. Valtteri Bottas looking to rebound. He's in sixth with 47 points. Uh, Carlos Sainz with 42. Uh, Pierre Gasly at 31. 
Uh, Sebastian Vettel with 28, Daniel Ricciardo 26, Fernando Alonso 13, Esteban Ocon has 12, Lance Stroll with 9, Yuki Tsunoda with 8, Antonio Giovinazzi with 1, and Kimi Raikkonen with 1. Uh, mentioning the guys on that track, I, I wanted to quickly touch. I, I'm really excited to see how Gasly does this year. Mm-hmm. In the home race, he's got a car that's really fast. That's a good package for Alfatari again, as evidenced by both cars making it into Q3 in Baku. Is this Baku? No. But like I said, similar in a lot of ways. And they got a fast car. It could happen for him this year. I'm not saying necessarily a win. That would be the uber bold prediction, I think, that Pierre Gasly becomes the first French driver in a very long mile to win his home race. 1990. But uh, 1990, man. <laughs> you, that is uh, 31 years ago. I wasn't alive, so <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to see him go this weekend and take the fight, I think, back to the front of the field. I think they've got a real shot. And uh, I mean, there's a little bit far behind of the team standings, but who knows, maybe they can call their way a little further ahead uh, with that. Uh, Red Bull, right now, they're pulling ahead a little bit. 174 points for top of the table there. Mercedes, second with 148. Then a bit of a gap to Ferrari with 94 points. Uh, McLaren, probably more likely to gain more points than Ferrari this weekend. They're only two behind, 92. Uh, Ferrari's admitted their cars are a little bit... Uh, this could be one of their struggle tracks, so that'll be interesting there. And then Alpha Tauri with 39 points. Aston Martin, 37 Alpine, 25, and Alfa Romeo with two points. Yeah, go Alfa Romeo. Boy, like, <laughs> listening to some of the different teams this, this weekend, like, you got Alfa Tauri and Aston Martin. Both teams, I think, are really looking to have a great weekend here. Mm-hmm. You got Ferrari said they have have admitted they're going to be struggling. McLaren, I mean, Lando's looked amazing this season. He's the only driver to have scored points in every race. That's crazy. Like, you Lando Norris, last lap Lando from last year in Austria, is the only driver to score points in every race this year. I mean, obviously, the only reason why that happened is because Lewis Hamilton last week. Magic. (laughs) Magic. (laughs) But uh, it is just crazy to see. Sure. McLaren looking to make a big jump this weekend, especially Daniel Ricciardo trying to find the handle on that car still. Yeah, exactly. I so. uh, wanted to mention with Lando, or with uh, not Lando, with Lewis. Um, I did see that it looks like they fixed the issue with the magic button. They've got kind of an extra little thing that um, Lewis can feel if he runs his hand over the magic button. So probably won't happen again. Mm-hmm. But if he does that going yeah, into sh- turn one, you know, oh boy. <laughs> just straight through. Woo-hoo. Lewis Hamilton takes turn one at 300 miles an hour and goes straight on to the next part of the track. He's got a 14-second lead. Holy crap. I don't, uh, won't happen. But, but, but yeah, the team said that sounds like in the offseason they're going to do some uh, work because, of course, those steering wheels are, like, massively intricate or intricate and a lot of electronics that they have to figure out. So it sounds like in the offseason they're going to do some more work to redesign that wheel so he doesn't accidentally flipped the magic on mm-hmm. again yeah again but now we talk about maybe some people who don't quite have some of the magic and it's kind of sad to say that when we head on to our CanCon section but i mean oh, those two races in detroit man and indycar 
for Canadians. Just, oh. I mean, James Hinchcliffe, Hinchcliffe sure finished 14th in the second race, and the best by Dalton Kellett was 18th in race one. <laughs> but, oh, man, that just tells the story. And even yet, it, our promising young hopeful in Indy Lights, Devlin DeFrancesco, he's fallen back in the standings now. After such a good start to the season, he's down to fifth after a fifth and a seventh. I mean, those aren't necessarily bad race results. And it's not like he's 10th in the standings. Yeah. But you just, let's, next weekend, let's stop the trend, Devlin. Come on. Let's let's get another win. Let's get you up there. Again. Exactly. You got a rebound race through Road America this weekend. Hopefully he can. Let's do, do it. That. Yeah. And then, uh. The other one in uh, Xfinity Series in, in, over NASCAR, Alex LeBay. His car is not really known to be a high-speed car over it, and they're racing at Texas. Had a decent starting spot, couldn't really get any traction on there. Just didn't have the pace, ended up finishing 18th. Boo. Yeah, <laughs> not looking too great for the Canadians uh, over last weekend, but hey, it's time for a rebound week. But yeah, looking ahead, uh, got a lot of interesting stuff. We got F1, as we mentioned mentioning a lot the last little bit french grand prix sunday's race uh just to note for start times it's 7 a.m mountain time that's 9 a.m eastern uh also there will be some f3 at the track so maybe it'll rubber up a little more um indycar got road america busy weekend indycar road to indy series all three of them you got the indy lights you got the USF 2000, you got the Indy Pro 2000, so it's going to be a very busy weekend over at Road America. Should be a good one there. And then uh, NASCAR, second half of the season, they're kicking off the first Cup Series race at Nashville. The Nashville! Yeah, uh, they got a... It's kind of a mini super speedway. It's mm-hmm. about half the distance in length of Talladega, but decent banking, so they won't be going... I don't think they're going to be going flat out through the corners, but Watching the Xfinity series in the past, um, those drivers can carry some pretty fast speeds around the corners, so it should be a fun one there. Absolutely. And that's kind of it for this podcast episode. Exciting weekend. We are heading into a triple header in F1. You got all three series back on the track this weekend. Of course, as always, if you're tuned in, you're listening, reach out to us if you have the time. Twitter, at the A Racing Pod, that's our handle. We're on Facebook. And you can also email us at the podcast at gmail.com. That is the EH Racing Podcast at gmail.com. It's been a while since we've heard from anybody. Again, we can maybe now this week we'll start doing some shout outs and stuff. If maybe if that entices you, we have listeners in Texas. Shout out to you, New Jersey. Shout out to you, someone in the UK even. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. Great to hear you. Great. Well, not hear you. Great to have you. And uh, we hope to hear more from you guys as we move forward. Yeah, and let us know where, you, where you're listening from. We'd definitely love to, you know, let people know where people are listening from in the world. And um, racing community is a big one, obviously. So definitely love to, I guess, make those connections. So um, also, if wherever you're listening, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, make sure to like subscribe whatever buttons you need to hit so you can get the next podcast which will be a recap race of uh what should hopefully be a fun one at uh paul ricard and a preview of the next double header in uh formula one so 
think that's pretty much it on our end here for now. And uh, yeah, I have a great race weekend, everybody. Toodaloo.